Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. One phrase that that struck my heart as we sang the previous song that said, take me back where we started. Take me back, Lord, where we started the journey. Take us back, Lord, to our first love. Where we began the journey of faith with you. Where nothing was too much or too hard for us to do for you. Where the joy of the Lord just overwhelmed us and the love you placed in our hearts was strong. Nothing seemed impossible. Father, we pray this morning that most of all, you would give us ears to hear your voice. Not a man's voice, but the voice deep down in our hearts that bears witness to what is shared and what is communicated. I pray that you will give us eyes that are able to see what you see and a heart that understands your word, your ways, so that we may turn. And in turning, we may find healing and deliverance from the things that so easily beset us, frustrate us, and distract us from what is really important. And we thank you for it as we ask this in your son's holy name. You may be seated, please. As you recall, for those of you that were here last Sunday, we have spent considerable time looking at the present state of the church. And I have concluded that the present state of the church as a whole, particularly in the West, can be best described in the epistle Jesus sent to the church in Laodicea through his apostle John. We're going to read that epistle once again. And I'm reading from the New King James Version from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through to 20. Revelation 3, beginning with verse 14 through to 20. Jesus is writing to this church, 
and he is addressing the angel of the church. And most Bible scholars refer to the angel of the church as the pastor or the person overseeing this church. And he says, these things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold or hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. And first of all, we need to understand that this rebuke to the church comes out of the heart of God who dearly loves the church. This is not to condemn the church. Jesus is expressing his love and his concern, and out of that deep love and concern, he brings an uncomfortable word, but nevertheless, a word that is needed at that particular time. Many times as pastors and ministers of the gospel, we shy away from bringing truth in love to our people because we might feel insecure, we might feel and be afraid that if we bring a, a word of rebuke or a word that is not that comfortable, people may get offended, and if they get offended, they're going to pick up their things and go down the road to another church. But I really believe that ministers of the gospel who refuse to share truth with the people in love will be held accountable by God Himself and will be severely judged because they did not share the whole counsel of God with the people whom God committed to their care and to their trust. One of the things that the Apostle Paul said to the elders of the church in Ephesus when he was saying goodbye to them, he said, my hands are pure and clean from the blood of all of you because I did not shun to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I told you the truth, 
And then he said, from house to house and in public meetings, I declared to you the whole counsel of God, and I didn't leave anything out. And therefore, he says, my hands are clean from the blood of all of you. What a thing to say. And that is why I say many ministers will be severely judged because they did not proclaim the whole counsel of God. They only shared part of the truth and not the whole truth. Jesus is not holding back here. And he says, because I love you, I will rebuke and I will chasten you with my word. For he said, as many as I love. So if you feel rebuked from the word of God and even chastised, know that you are in the group of people that Jesus loves dearly. So we need to understand that. Because some folks think that that they're not loved. Oh, you're condemning me again. Oh, it's my fault again. And they have this chip on the shoulder. No. Jesus loves the church. And out of great concern, he does not want the church to perish with the world. But rather come to a spiritual awakening and somehow turn from the evil way so that they not perish. Amen? Are you with me so far? So we need to understand that, that God loves us. He desires to bring a change into our lives which will produce godly fruit that will stand the test of time. And even though you've gone from this world, truth that you left behind will continue to instruct those you left behind. Amen. Now, the Lord Jesus admonished this church to be zealous and to repent, he said. In that state of repentance, Jesus counseled the church to obtain three things. He said, buy from me three things, because you desperately need these three things. And what were the three things? Gold refined in the fire, white garments that you may clothe yourself, and number three, eye salve that you may see. Now, refined gold refers to faith that's been tested and tried through the trials of life. And that is pure riches. That is pure gold. And that is why our faith needs to be tested, must be tried, and in the trial and in the test be found pure and genuine that will bring glory to God. Amen? So the church had the priorities all wrong, this church. They, um, instead of seeking to obtain true wealth and true spiritual riches, they pursued material things and financial wealth. And so much of the church today is geared towards that path. Now, listen to what they said. By their own testimony, obviously they have obtained that wealth. They have obtained riches because they said, 
We are rich. I can imagine what kind of buggies and what kind of horses were outside that gathering of the Laodicean church. Probably the finest horses in the land, the finest buggies in the land. They were parked outside because these people had tremendous wealth. They said, we are rich. We have obtained wealth. And listen to what they said. We have need of nothing. Wow. They were in a good place financially. They achieved the goals. They had no needs. All of the needs were met. They had tremendous wealth. They obtained status in the society. You know, this kind of attitude, though, led them into a very dangerous place. It led them into a state of what I call complacency. You look up that word complacency and see what it says. They became self-satisfied with their successes and the financial achievements, and in the process they lost sight of the true spiritual condition. They didn't know that they were spiritually poor. They didn't know they were naked, spiritually speaking. And they didn't know they had lost the prophetic vision. They lost true spiritual sight that sees things as they are and not as they appear to be. They lost all that because their priorities were all wrong. They were focused on the wrong thing. Amen. And in that state of complacency, Jesus said they were in danger of being spewed out of his mouth. That's why he brought that stern rebuke. And he said, be zealous and repent. If you don't repent, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Frightening words. And these are words in the New Testament, folks. They're not in the Old Testament. Did you know that five out of the seven churches that Jesus wrote to through John were told to repent or else? Something that you don't hear much in our churches today. The message of repentance or the message of the cross. It's not heard, hardly ever heard. But we only hear one side of the gospel, the blessing. And people come to church for the wrong reasons. They come to Christ for the wrong reasons. Not because they want to serve Him, but because they want to obtain something. Hello? And that is altogether a wrong foundation to build your spiritual life on. And those of us who promise such things without preaching the whole truth, self-denial, self-sacrifice, and a measure of suffering that goes together with following Christ. That's why people cannot endure suffering when it comes, because they have not been trained or they have not been taught that there is a measure of suffering in denying yourself, your own dreams, your own ambitions, your own selfish desires, and taking on the will of God for your life. 
and the purposes of God for your life and the plans and the dreams that God has for your life. You cannot discover those until you come at a place where you lay down your own will, your own life, your own self, your own desires. Then you come into a life that Jesus called abundance. And you pick up the dream that God has for you. And you run with it. And when you do, sure there is a reward. Sure there is a blessing. But that is not the issue. The issue is serving God at all costs. Whether He answers your prayers or not, whether He blesses you or not, you have decided you will follow Jesus regardless. Because He's worthy to be followed. Amen. And in that state of complacency, they were in danger. You see, when a person is spiritually asleep and he's complacent and self-satisfied, he is not aware of the dangers that lurk around or the evil schemes that the evil one is planning towards you because you are spiritually asleep. You have no idea what is going on in the realm of the Spirit. That's why we see even believers church-going people, all of a sudden things happen and their lives are shattered. They had no clue and no idea that the enemy behind the scenes was plotting and planning the destruction. They were in a state of what the Bible calls complacency. My God, help us. Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You remember the rich young fool? Oh, he wasn't young. Maybe he was old. He said his, his, his farms or his land produced crops and he didn't have enough room. So he broke down those storerooms. He made bigger storerooms. And he said, now my soul, you have plenty. Eat, enjoy, relax. And that night, Jesus said, his soul was taken away from him. Foolishness. Folks, I believe... It is my conviction. There has never been a time before when the present-day church has so much at her disposal, yet so very little when it comes to spiritual authority and power. I heard something from Reinhard Bonnke yesterday as he was ministering, and he was being interviewed. He said, God didn't call me to deliver sermons. He called me to deliver people. Power is lacking in the church. No spiritual authority. The world has lost respect for the church because of our lukewarmness and because of our complacency. And that is the state of the church. There has never been a time before when there's so much complacency in our very own churches. People are unaware of the dangers that are lurking around, the enemy that is plotting and planning against the church, even in this country. You better wake up, because we're going to be facing some days that are really tough, and only few will be able to stand. It's not going to be easy for the church. This complacency and self-satisfaction can only lead us into a state of spiritual slumber. Amen. Amen. 
Jesus said that the enemy does his most destructive work when the church is spiritually asleep. You read that in Mark chapter 4, in, in the parable of the sower, Jesus said, while men slept, the enemy came in and he sowed the tears. He wasn't talking about natural physical sleep. He was talking about spiritual slumber. We hear. The Word of God says you have eyes. You see, but you do not perceive. You hear, but you do not understand. It's like a veil comes over our eyes and over our ears, and we're not able to discern or hear the true voice of God among the so many voices that are coming at us. And folks, we desperately need a spiritual awakening. Say that, spiritual awakening. We need to wake up. Sometimes I wonder, what is it going to take the church to really wake up? We need to wake up. Awakening that can only be brought about by the fire of the Holy Spirit. Not just the infilling, but the fire of the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke about this fire, and He said, How I long that it had already started. John the Baptist spoke about this fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Lord, help us. You know, this holy fire will bring about an awakening, but will also purify and sanctify the church. The lack, the cause for lack of spiritual authority and power is a lack of sanctification, a lack of holiness, a lack of fear of God in the house of God. We don't have the fear of God anymore. We emphasize so much the love of God, but the love must be balanced with the fear of God. Or else you go into the ditch on one side. Amen. The Word of God gives us a promise. And how I thank God for this promise. That before Jesus comes back to take His church out of this world, He said He would come as a refiner's fire and like a laundress soap in order to cleanse and purify the church. Hallelujah. Thank God for that promise. I long to see that promise fulfilled in my lifetime. Listen to what he says in Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Behold, he says, I sent my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. 
He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. This is what Jesus was talking about and counseling that church to obtain, gold refined in the fire a faith that is tested and tried in the fiery furnace of affliction and found genuine and true and not false. There is a beautiful verse in the book of Psalms and says, You have brought us through fire and through water into rich fulfillment. God says when you go through the fire, you will not be burned. The only thing the fire will burn are those things which the world has put on us. When you go through the rivers, he said, the water will not overflow you, will not drown you, because I'm going to be there. God never promised that we will have a comfort free from tests, free from trials life in this world. In fact, Paul said to the believers, while he was preparing these young believers, he said, we must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. There is suffering involved. There are tests. There are trials that you and I will go through. But thank God for those trials because it is in those trials that we exercise our faith and our patience is developed and we become mature people and grounded in the truth that we are no longer swayed and, and moved from one side to the next through the false winds of doctrine that blow. Are you listening to me? And we should see these fiery trials as friends, not as enemies. I grew the most during times of affliction. I grew the most when the fire was strong on me. What it did for me, it pushed me further and deeper into the Word and into the heart of God. There were times I would go in my prayer room and I would cry my heart out and I would say, Lord, I cannot take this anymore. And I would lay on the floor with tears and, and, and crying out and God would come and comfort me. And He would show me words from the Scriptures. Those words became life and light to me. And he lifted me up and encouraged me, and I was able to get out and go at it again. Folks, today's church has had it far too easy. We cannot identify with that. Even my son said to me one day a couple of years ago, say, Dad, I cannot identify with what you went through. I cannot identify with these battles and struggles you went through. Of course he couldn't because he was shielded all of his life. But I left home when I was 14 and never went back longer than two, three weeks at a time. It was tough. But you know what? It built a backbone in me. And I could stand in the face of persecution and say to the devil, take your best shot. 
and I will still be standing, and I will still serve God no matter what, whether you bless me or not. How desperately we need this backbone in our churches today. I'm sick and tired of seeing people leaving the church offended, disgruntled with the church, with the people of God, with their pastors, because God didn't come through for them immediately and rescued them. That's not Christianity, my brother, my sister. That's not Christianity. I don't know what you call it, but my heart bleeds for those people, and I wish I could help them. Let me remind you, beloved, that Jesus is coming back, he said, for the church that is without spot, that is without wrinkle. He's coming back for a church that is purified, and is madly in love with him. Amen. 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 Say amen. amen. I wonder today how many of us who profess faith in Christ will stand if persecution arose against you. And the very people you love and respect will threaten to leave you to ostracize you, even to fire you from your place of work. I recall years ago in Zimbabwe, I led a middle-aged lady to the Lord, and she got, she got on fire for God. She was an Orthodox, and she, and she couldn't stop talking about her faith. And then it got word got out that she's one of the followers of Andrea, you know what happened to her? The day after that, she lost her job. She was fired. Yeah? Anyway, let me move on. How many of us will stand if we are called upon to sacrifice and to suffer for Christ's sake and his gospel? How many of us will endure hardship and suffering? I believe that when the Lord appears, as he said he will suddenly come to his church, most of us won't recognize him. You know, most of us will think it's the devil and will start praying against those things, against the fire, against the trial. Against, many believers today, they don't realize that behind all of this is the Lord who's disciplining them. We don't understand that. You know, many years ago when I came to the faith, my father-in-law was like a thorn in my flesh. My wife can testify to that. A very loving, loving family man, but a tough, he was on my case day after day, day after day, correcting me, disciplining me. And in the first few months, all I could do was rebel, rebel, rebel. Lord, take this away from me. And one day in prayer, the Lord removed the veil from my eyes, and I saw that this was not my father-in-law's hand that was disciplining me. It was the hand of my loving father. Because he wanted to, to create in me a heart of submission 
to authority, a heart of humility so that he can bless me. But all I did was rebel, 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 and fight and argue with him, not understanding what God was doing. Many believers do not understand what God is doing in their own lives today. They think it's the devil. And they keep resisting and they keep resisting, but he doesn't go away. When the Lord removed that veil and I saw that it was the hand of my loving father, I sat down and wrote a letter to my father-in-law. And I thanked him for the discipline. I said that I'm privileged to be in your family, and I thank you for all you are doing for me and my wife. Forgive me for arguing and quarreling with you. From that day, our relationship took another turn. And you know what? It was like heavens opened. And the blessing started falling because I saw. That's what Jesus was talking about. He said, you need eye self. Anoint your eyes so you may see what I see. Amen? That's why I said when the Lord comes in that fiery uh, attitude, when that, like, the refiner's fire, many, many will fall away. And you know what I believe? I believe that before the greatest harvest of souls that has been prophesied in the Word comes to the church, the churches will be emptied out and very few will remain. The crowds will be thinned out. Don't be impressed by crowds, folks. Never be impressed by what appears. Jesus was never impressed by crowds. Every time he saw a crowd coming, he would say something, he would throw something out there deliberately to offend them. Once he said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And the Word says, from that day, many walked away from him. They would not follow him anymore. And remember, before Pentecost came, the crowds thinned out terribly. Out of the thousands that were blessed by Jesus, maybe hundreds of thousands that were healed and ministered to, you know how many remained? 120. The wheat was separated from the chaff. What separated them? The fire. Come, holy fire of God. Please come and purify your church. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you still with me? <laughs> so many have already fallen away from the faith, folks. I see people have almost every week don't go to church anymore. They just stay at home. And they think they're so spiritual. They're discouraged. They're disillusioned with the church, with their pastors. So they stay home. Hello. Where are those that will face opposition and suffering and even offense and continue to keep the hearts pure towards God and towards the church, loving the people, loving God, ministering, serving, giving, and doing what Jesus said do. Let's move on. He also counseled them to buy 
white garments. Amen? He said that you obtain white garments which refer to works of righteousness. The white garment speaks of works, works that are birthed out of genuine love and faith. Works that are birthed from the Spirit of God. Not dead works. And let me say this. Genuine faith and love are always, always accompanied by works of sacrifice and generosity. And without them, the Word of God says faith is incomplete or rather dead. Listen to what James says. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed, be filled, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, it, if it does not have works, is dead. Is dead. John says the same thing, 1 John 3. 16 through to 18. By this we know love, because He laid down our lives for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Laying down our lives, denying self for others with acts of sacrifice and kindness and generosity are the marks of a revived believer. Of a revived believer. A soul that's been revived. That when he sees a need of someone close, does not shut his compassion towards them, but meets that need. And when we're sensitive enough to the Spirit of God, we will pick up needs, otherwise we would not. Amen? The other day, I'm, I'm, I'm walking in my house, and all of a sudden I got this urge. I don't know it, you know, our... We have a, a maid that comes twice a week and cleans the floors and does, helps Cristela do the work. And I said, Chris, I've got this urge all of a sudden. I don't know why, but I feel I need to go and get her some things. You know, she gets paid well. On top of that, we, we also bless her with other things. So I went to the shop and got her some things, and when she saw them, she broke down. She fell on the floor. She said, how did you know that I had no Millie Meal at home? She never said anything. I picked it up. When you are spiritually awake, you will pick up needs around the people that you see every day. I'm not talking about strangers. I'm not talking about beggars that knock on your door and you don't know who they are or what they are or where they come from. 
I'm talking about people that you associate with, people that are in your sphere of influence. You see almost every week. They may not have a financial need, but they may have an emotional need. They may have a spiritual need. And if you are spiritually alert and sensitive, you're going to pick up that need and you're going to move and minister into that area. And that's what John is talking about. He says true love and true faith will always have works. Amen of generosity, of kindness, and will not walk away from those needs. Amen? That is the life of a revived believer, folks. Amen. And then finally, he said, prophetic vision. He said, the eye solve speaks of prophetic vision and the ability to see what God sees. A vision which stretches beyond ourselves, beyond our own needs, our own wants, our own dreams, our own ambitions. A vision from God which galvanizes your faith and propels us forward in extending the influence of God's kingdom. You've got to have a vision that is beyond yourself. Amen. And some folks in the church, they can't see anything beyond their own selves, beyond their own needs, beyond their own pain, beyond their own struggles. I, I say that most of the church, I'm speaking about the wider body of Christ, are struggling to keep their heads above water. It's a struggle every day. It shouldn't be this way. Hello? But a vision from God takes your eyes off of yourself and puts them on Christ and on a perishing world out there. And that empowers you. That galvanizes your faith because you know you're here for something much greater than just being yourself and, 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 and just going to work and coming home and feeding your family and taking care of your children. There is something much greater than that. Amen. I recall when God touched my heart, I'm behind the counter in a supermarket, and I thought to myself, God, you created me for something more than selling bread and milk and selling this and selling that. What, what made me think that way? It was because of a vision that stretched beyond myself. Amen. Do we have that kind of a vision that compels us? We desperately need a fresh revelation of Jesus, folks. You know, when Isaiah had a vision of the Lord and saw him high and lifted up, you remember that in Isaiah chapter 6? He says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And you know what he did? The moment he saw the Lord glorified, high and lifted up in all of his glory and splendor, he fell to the floor and he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. And he began to knock on his chest and he said, I am a man with unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Woe is me! For my eyes have seen the King. 
Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt in all your Christian experience the convicting fire of the Holy Spirit on you? You ever felt that? Where you cried out and said, Woe is me, O Lord, I'm a sinner. God have mercy upon me. Where your heart broke and your soul shook because of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Word of God is powerful. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And when it comes, it pierces, it cuts. And you say, ah. I recall the first time I was convicted, sitting in the midst of a crowd, first time I heard the gospel. And my soul was broken because I saw, what did I see? I saw myself as God saw me, wretched, poor, and miserable. I saw how wicked, how selfish I was and how deeply I hurt the people who loved me the most. And I destroyed every good thing that God gave me in my life through my own hands. I destroyed it. And when I saw that, my heart broke, my soul shook, and I fell to the floor. And I said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And from that day, my life has never been the same again. You know, I hear so many who are seeking deliverance from some kind of trial. They're seeking restoration either in their marriages or either in their finances. But you know what I hear? They always justify and make excuse for their sin. It's always somebody else's fault. And they point the finger either to their spouse, either to the economic situation. They never point a finger at them. They're never wrong. There can be no deliverance. God declares in His Word that He resists the proud, but He gives grace to who? The to the humble. Lord, it's my fault. And the first step out of restoration and deliverance is taking responsibility for our actions and our decisions and saying, Lord, I'm here where I am because of me and no one else. I did this. It's not my wife. It's not my husband. It's not my son. It's not the economy. It's not the government. It's me. Woe is me. I am undone. But you cannot say that until the fire of God falls on you. And repentance is birthed out of the deep conviction and godly sorrow. You know why we're having so many problems in our churches today? Problems that we shouldn't have in the first place. Because people have never been taught repentance. Have never been convicted of their sin. They came to church. They joined the church. But they've never really repented of their lifestyles. And that is why there is a perpetual 
cycle that continues to run in their lives for years and there's never any deliverance. They may come to the front, you lay hands on them, they fall down, they shake, they scream, they, 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 they get emotional, but they get up and there's no change. Do you know why there's no change? There's no repentance. And there's no repentance because there's no fire in the pulpit. And I believe when the fire returns to the pulpit, sanity will return to the church. Where are the days when the people heard the Word of God and they wept? Today we, we are trained as ministers to make the people happy and make them comfortable rather than giving them truth. Amen? Truth will hurt you, but it will set you free. The sword will pierce. And there has been times from that day onwards that after that initial repentance when my heart and soul were confronted by the Lord time and time again, and I personally encountered His presence, and it left me utterly broken. I don't believe God can bless a man without brokenness. I don't believe God can use a man without being broken. As the Lord humbled me and ministered truth to my soul. One of the major problems we face today, my brother, my sister, is that most of us believe that we have no need for repentance now that we're born again. Deception has entered the church, and you know what it did? It has stolen one of the foundational pillars of the Christian faith. The first one. Hebrews 6, repentance from dead works. That's been stolen. Hardly ever preached. And people are led to Christ without genuine repentance. That is why I said we're dealing with issues we, never ha we should never have to deal with. When I repented, the first thing that took place was my marriage was restored. Yes. There was a change. Not in my wife, in me. There was a brokenness. And that brokenness brought healing and restoration to the marriage. We don't see that much today. Why? No repentance. It's always somebody else's fault. It's never my fault. Folks, learn to humble yourself before God. Repentance and obedience to the truth, Peter says, purifies the soul and mind of the believer and is able to see the way God sees. Blessed, Jesus said, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see, the repentant soul is enabled to hear, to see and understand the counsel of the Lord. And so the Lord concludes His rebuke and his letter to the church saying, I counsel you to buy these three things. And all three cannot be bought with any silver or gold or fame or doctorate or status. They all are bought through repentance. Be zealous, he says, and repent. 
And listen to what he says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And Jesus today, folks, extends an invitation to us this morning. He says, I'm still knocking at your heart's door. And if you hear my voice and you open the door of your heart, I will come in, I'll dine with you, I will share intimacy with you, and I'm going to ignite a fire in your spirit that will set you on a course that will ultimately glorify my name and touch many lives. Let's stand. Are you willing to accept that invitation? That invitation is given to every single one of us. You hear a sermon, and so often we think that's for so-and-so, that's for so-and-so. It's like Brother Hagen said once, some people come to church with a shovel. They hear the truth, and then it's behind us. No, it's me. I am in need of repentance. I am in need of the fire of God in my life. So this invitation is open and is extended to you, to each one of us this morning. And the decision is yours. I don't want you to leave this place the same way you came in. And I don't want you to stand before God that day and point your finger at me because we're going to be together in heaven and say, Pastor, you didn't tell me the truth. You sugarcoated the truth. You were tiptoeing around me, but you never confronted me with truth. And in fact, I'm thinking of that one person today, and I'm saying, how am I going to meet with that person now and tell him what I wanted to tell him for years? Hello? Father, we, we thank you for your precious word this morning. Your word declares that the word of God is like a hammer that strikes the rock and like a fire that burns. And may you strike our hearts today, Father, and melt them where they need to be broken. That you bring us back and align us to your heart once again, Father. Lord, it's beyond my ability to say anything more. I lack what it takes to motivate your people. Help us. Help your church, Father, in this nation. And bring us to a spiritual awakening for the sake of the destiny of this nation. For you have given promises over South Africa. You have spoken prophetically over this nation that will bless the nations of the world. That even from this city there will arise a group of people and a fire of God that will spread throughout all Africa and the nations of the world. And we will never be able to fulfill our destiny as a nation and as a church unless there comes a revival, unless there comes a spiritual awakening that will empower us to do what you have called and destined us to do. 
Father, teach us and inspire us to pray for the church in South Africa. For the church in South Africa is the key to the solutions of all the problems we are facing. And forgive us of our lack of love, our lack of faith. Forgive us of our complacency, our self-satisfaction, Lord. Lord, we repent today in the name of Jesus. And we call upon you to have mercy on us in Jesus' precious name. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.